Greetings to the PATH family. Our slogan at the PATH is meeting you where you are. We invite you to follow, share, and check us out on social media. You may connect with us at any time, anywhere. On Facebook at The PATH Church or Instagram and Twitter at Join the PATH. Without further delay, enjoy this week's sermon. Amen. All right. If you haven't done so already, Go ahead and log on. Uh, If you're on YouTube, go ahead and log on. You can minimize the screen. Thank God for technology. Log on to Menti. We'd like to hear from you as well. That code is 4467-9728. We are wrapping up our Everyone, Every Day, Everywhere series. Have y'all enjoyed the series? Been talking about just everyday disciples, every single one of us doing the best that we can to glorify God, maximize our impact as we partner with the Holy Spirit every single day to share the gospel everywhere. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And so we're wrapping it up. Um, Jackson did a great job last week. And then uh, Amaryllis Mercado will be preaching next Sunday for uh, it's our women's retreat weekend. And so she'll be our guest speaker. And uh, we're excited about that. They're traveling this weekend. Marco's uh, mom, it's her birthday celebration. So pray for them as they travel. Um, so I got a question for you. Before we show that question, though, uh, I, I want, um, you know, just I want you to be honest on this. You will not be implicated. If you're sitting with your parents, don't let them see it. Um, And I'm giving you an option to pick more than one on here, okay? Uh, Today, we're going to have a little bit of Bible study today. So I want to ask you about your study habits, all right? How do you or how did you prepare for tests? Go ahead and put the question up. How do you or how did you? I know for some of us, it's been a long time. Really long time. But do you remember how you used to prepare for tests? How do you today prepare? Do you plan? Are you you that student that takes time out of their lives before the test to actually plan out your study schedule? Do you do that? I want to know you. I want to know who you are. Do you cram? Do you wait to the last minute, stay up all night, and get as much as you can as possible in that that brain? Now, when I ask you, do you pray? See, I know you pray. But in this regard, I'm talking about those of us who didn't study. But you walk into class, you're praying that morning. You pray for the miraculous to happen. Help me remember, Lord, what happened in that lecture, in that class. I haven't looked at it. Lord, I just need your grace and mercy, Lord. Please, Jesus. Some of us get really spiritual when it comes to tests. Lastly, did you cheat? Did you cheat? Some of us, we prayed and then we cheated. Some of us, (laughs) don't act like you, just in case, Lord. Some of us, we plan to cheat. Don't act like that. Now, you know, I got to confess, I planned to cheat. See, see, back in the day, before we can bring our phones into class, 
And I don't even know how, I, I bet it'd be, it'd be so hard these days when you work on, online. I mean, how do you take a test at home online? Like, you got to have some real integrity. I mean, we have five by seven cards. Or even smaller, you rip out a little piece of paper. And you get your little pencil. And you write as many of those answers as you can. And you put that thing right in the palm of your hand, and you'd be like, Shh. or you put it right here on you. And then you act like you're tired, or you're thinking. <laughs> oh, I hit y'all with that one, huh? Some of y'all feel seen this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> I say good. I like that. I like that. Uh-huh, okay. 121, um, I like that. Y'all decided to confess today. I like it. Good, 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 good. So today we're going to do a little bit of a Bible study, right? Um, We're going to see what we can learn from the text in Acts chapter 13. We're going to see how we can apply it to our lives personally, but also to us as a church. Um, I love to study out my Bible. You know why I love to study out my Bible? Because it's so interesting. It is so interesting. You can spend a month on a verse. I mean, you, you really could. I mean, the depth that you could go to, the, the amount of study there is on this. I mean, the way the Holy Spirit will work in your life to give you insight, right? Um, so I will pray and I will ask God for insight. Uh, when I pray... Um, I I ask him to give me wisdom. I I read the scriptures. I try to study. I try to meditate on the scriptures. I try to even pray through the scriptures and ask God uh, what it is that he wants to uh, reveal to me because it's not just a historical book, right? It's a spiritual book. It's a book that has life in it and gives life, right? And it comes to life when we put it into practice, right? And so um, I ask a lot of questions. I read my Bible with a lot of curiosity, I ask a lot of questions of the text. I, I, ask, I'm like, I ask God, myself, the Holy Spirit, other people, like, what does this mean? How can this, how does this make sense, right? Um, I try to make connections with other passages. So I'm like, oh, that's confirmation because I saw that here. Oh, that, that's consistent with God's character because I saw this somewhere else. Okay, wow, this is good. I look for themes. Um, then, then I look at commentaries. I don't like looking at commentaries first because I feel like I'm, cheating. You know? I feel like I'm just getting fed information as opposed to the process that I enjoy of finding it out, like studying it out for myself. And then what's really cool is I, when I get confirmation from very educated spiritual teachers that have many more degrees than I do, I did not go to Bible college, so my degree is in sports management. So I know it's the power of God when I get something from the scripture <laughs> that, a, that a Bible teacher, professor, a commentary writer got from the scripture, that's God. And that means God makes it simple even for children to understand. Okay? Uh, I really like commentaries with a Jewish perspective because that's the culture that we're, we're reading about. That's Jesus was Jewish. And so... Uh, it's good to understand the traditions. It's good to understand what it meant for them. 
um, but also just culture in general, whether it is the, the, the Greco-Roman culture, whatever it was during that time, that as we're reading, that's in the New Testament, I love, to, I love that context, right? So uh, today, you may want to take some notes um, if you are a student of the Bible, because you may just get something that may just pique your interest. Write that down. Right? That's, that's God revealing something to you. That's how God works, right? Something that he may want you to go back and study out for yourself. Take screenshots of uh, different scriptures or different things that, um, that speak to you because now this presentation is right on your phone if you logged on to Menti. That goes for you as well on YouTube. So you can go back and even listen to it uh, if you miss something on YouTube as well. Okay. So title of my message today is History in the Making. History in the Making. Um, You know, uh, being part of something historical is is really special. It's really special. Um, History is constantly being made even as we speak, right? Um, I saw this uh, meme, I think it was this past week, of some of the things that millennials have gone through before the age of 40. Y2K, 9-11, a whole plague, a pandemic, right? Two economic recessions and a possible World War III before they hit 40. Wow. <laughs> That's what millennials are feeling right now. That's how they're looking. Without Jesus, some, some with Jesus. Help me. Struggling. But there's good things that have happened too, maybe that we've lived through already, right? Uh, first black president. Even though Tupac said, we ain't ready, we were ready. You know? Uh, first female, African-American female at that, vice president, Kamala Harris. Uh, seen some, some goats in our, in our lifetime. MJs, you know, we got to see, you know, Michael Jordan perform and Michael Jackson perform. You know, he wasn't even playing basketball. Jordan wasn't even playing basketball. He's performing. There's no question about that, by the way. Don't question that. <laughs> it's a statement. It's a fact. Historical. Got to see Tom Brady on the football field. That's special. We're in the midst of an information age like we've never experienced before. It comes with its perks and its challenges. iPhones, social media, and, and the like. We have more information than we can than we need. Information is power. That's what used to be said. Information is whoever has information. Information now is like, if I want it, I'll have it. If not, I won't. You know, it's power now. Activation. Right? Actually doing something with the information. It's crazy, right? Um, And yet, through all the historical events, through um, the past and the present, nothing is more meaningful than the things that happen in God's kingdom. Do you understand that? You know, if God were to rewrite the Bible starting in our lifetime, many of those things that I just mentioned, the things that we hold so highly in regard, would only be a backdrop in his story. You understand that? 
Because we read the Bible now, and it's not about those historical moments. They're a backdrop. They're context. The, the things I just spoke about will be the things that Bible nerds will be geeking out about like later on, like a thousand years from now. I'll be like, oh my gosh, did you know it was during the same time that Le- they were having this argument about LeBron James and Michael Jordan? What context was there, right? It was information. That's, it'd be, it, it would be a footnote. Some of the things that we hold so highly in our, in our own eyes. But the things of eternity... Those are the things that would be in focus. Things like the events that we read in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menean, the childhood companion of King Herod, Antipas and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Now, Dr. Jackson did a great job last week preaching. He alluded to this, how this church in Antioch, Antioch was a city, and so people from Jerusalem who were scattered because of persecution, they were killing their friends and family because of their faith. They were dragging them into prison, and so they ran for their lives. Sound familiar? Because of that persecution, they went out and just preached the word wherever they went, nameless people just preached the word, and this church was started. And so now we're in Antioch, and to give a little bit of, of a background, uh, after they started this church, we heard Barnabas went to get Saul that was in Tarsus. Saul, who was one of the persecutors who, were, who was approving to the killing of these Christians, right? One of the people in charge. He becomes a Christian. On the road to Damascus, he, he, Jesus makes him blind. He tells him to go and see this disciple who ended up baptizing him. He got his sight back, and then he was passionate. Then they wanted to kill him. And so Barnabas, is in, it means encourage, he's an encouraging man, right, generous and, and humble. He goes and gets Saul, and they go to Antioch, and they spend a year there, and he trains them up there, and now he's part of the pastor, the teachers, and the, and the prophets there in Antioch. Now, what also happened was that while they were in Antioch at the end of chapter 11, it actually says that a prophet came to Antioch. Now, Antioch, let me, let me just say this, Antioch was a group of Gentiles Jewish people did not mess with Gentiles. This was such a big deal that there was a church mixed with all types of people, Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans. Samaritans were, the, were mixed, Jews and Gentiles, right? And so there's all these types of people, but a Jewish prophet comes and he gives them a warning. Let's read Acts chapter 11. So we're, gonna go, we're going back real quick to, to get the context of what chapter 13 is all about. In 27, and we can understand a little bit about Barnabas and Saul, we can understand a little bit about the, the time, what they were going through in that moment. So during this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman 
world. Famine. You, you just, that means you, you can't go to Walmart and get what you want. You're talking about when the pandemic hit and you couldn't get toilet paper, you're talking about food, like this was coming. You were going to have to figure out how you were going to eat because it wasn't going to be provided, right? Sometimes we read through these words like, oh, okay, it was a famine. No, put yourself in that position. A prophet of the Lord comes and says there's going to be a, a famine. Your food is not going to be guaranteed. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. I love that. If you, listen, if somebody calls themselves a prophet, does, is it, and they predict the future, not all prophets predict the future. Prophets are just people that, are, that speak the word of God. It may be the future. But did it come true? We give, a, we, we give pro- prophets a pass too much. If it ain't come true, what is it? I'm sorry I messed up that time. I'll try next time. No, either, either the spirit of God is working in you and it's true, or you're doing it on your own and you're talking like you are, but you're not. We got to see. We got to test these spirits. Y'all be too quick. TikTok, somebody talks about prophecies, it goes viral. Why? Did it come true? Why don't we go back? Why don't we go back 10 years ago, 10 years ago right, and see some of the prophecies that were made in the name of the Lord? Have they happened? Everybody talk about the end of the world because of this war. They've been, it's been a war in Israel. Guys, come on, man. Don't go along. All I'm saying is we've got we to be students of the Bible. We've got to go a little deeper. I'm sorry. Sorry, that was a side note. Verse 29, so the believers in Antioch, they decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea. Everyone given as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take the elders of the church in, to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. So, these disciples give as much as they can to the most of their ability, it says, because of a prophecy of what could happen. They were preparing for a famine that wasn't even there yet. They were responding to a need that had not happened. They just were planning for it. And they cared so much about their brothers and sisters in Judea, Jewish brothers and sisters, that they said, we want to make sure you have what you need even before it happens. God, wow. This means that they gave according to the ability as much as they could, according to their resources, right? Those who had more gave more, had less, gave less. It also means they gave according to the ability of their faith. That's really the measure of our giving, isn't it? Trusting their gift to God's work was a worthy investment in his kingdom and not a loss. See, it was an, it, an investment. It wasn't just a subtraction. It, you weren't just getting money. I, it was, you weren't just giving. It was an investment. That's how they saw it. Out of love. This is deep. This quote, theologian James Montgomery Boise says, As far as I know, this is the first charitable act of this nature in all recorded history. One race of people collecting money to help another people. No wonder... They were first called Christians at Antioch. 
history in the making. They lived it. I don't know how much they knew that that's what would be said about them 2,000 years later. They were just given because they were led by the Holy Spirit and by their love for their brothers and sisters. You know, in the history of our church, we've been very, very generous. So let's talk about how it applies to us as a church. We've been very, very generous, right? Even through this pandemic, like, churches had to close down. People stopped giving. People lost, lost members. I mean, it was, it, I mean, it was really hard on some churches. Uh, I'm grateful to Ann Campaign, uh, one of the organizations we partner with, and, and um, I helped to, to co-found. We actually did a Churches Helping Churches campaign. That churches that had more gave to those who did it so they can keep their doors open. Um, it, it was a, a, amazing, amazing work. Something that we got because of the example here in the first century church, right? Um, and, and we've been very generous uh, throughout our history. Now, I, I think we're very generous overall. For some reason this year, there's, there's a special contribution that we give every year that's part of what we do, right? And so special contribution is something that we give above and beyond our weekly contribution. So our weekly tithes and offerings is one thing, but we see in the scriptures how, how the early brothers and sisters collected, it, collected special amounts of money for special things along the way. And so we do that every year for different campaigns, for uh, our vision fund, as we call it, which is to create churches that mobilize the next generation, our next gen fund, as we're trying to help our younger people become Christians and raise them up to be leaders, right? Uh, different things like that. We have Be a Blessing Fund. We have different opportunities for us to give in a special way above and beyond our tithes and offerings, right? Um, and even that, honestly, since I'm teaching today, there was no mention of tithes in the New Testament Christianity, right? It was just contribution. That's what we call contribution. It, it wasn't a commandment to give 10% in, in, in God's new covenant. It's just not mentioned. Right? We say that because it's cultural, and we see an example of that that the Israelites had uh, in the Old Testament. So, uh, so that's what we do. Now, last year, every year we've been going up on this. Last year, we raised over $120,000. So we really don't, like, as a church, as a church leadership, we're not like, oh, man, let's go crazy and plan for this. We, we set really like uh, uh, goals that kind of are attainable and then we pray that God will ma magnify, right? Uh, because there's a part of it that you have to be wise in how you plan for finances for the next year, right? Um, so we can plan conservatively, but we can dream crazy, right? Um, and so we said, you know what our goal? It would be 100K. Man, if we do that, that'd be great, right? I mean, we've been raising all this money. We're, through September, we've raised $30,000. $30,000. Praise God for every single penny. And a lot of that, some of that has been spent already. A lot of that has gone to the Be a Blessing Fund that we use to meet specific needs. And so with that, we've been able to, to help not only those members in the church, but even like friends and family of the church and in the community to pay their light bill. A single mom, we paid the, the light bill of a single mom right? It was a neighbor of one of our church members. We've paid over $2,000 we've given for people to go to these retreats that we have going on, right? Um, people, our kids to go to Christian camps and do different things like that. And so, man, we love being able to just have that money just to, to use it. 
And so we're at staff, we're just thinking in our staff meeting, like racking our brain, like why? And I'm thinking, like we're like, man, it's, it must be economic stuff, you know, it must be maybe taxes, it's people different, maybe, maybe people have been traveling, I don't know, maybe it just hasn't been a priority, did I say something wrong? People not in LA, not with what we're doing anymore, I mean, because really how you give shows how much support you have for the direction of the church, right? Um, and so I said, you know what, instead of, like, having all these hypotheses, let's go ahead and ask the church. Let's just go ahead and ask you. I mean, you guys are always honest. Have you given a special contribution this year? This is anonymous. And you have different options. I try to put all the ones that we can fall into. Number one, yes, it's done. I've given. That's for me and my family. We've given. Um, and and a, a good percentage of that 30K, honestly, uh, um, we've already given to that ourselves. Um, the next one is I've given some, but planning to give more. Some of us give like little by little, or maybe we said, man, we're going to give this much, but then later on I'm going to get a bonus, and I'm going to give out of that. We have, but we have a plan, right? Next one is not yet, but I plan to give. So I haven't given yet. I do have a plan to give. Next one is no, and I ain't planning on it. Um, for any, I don't even going to ask you the reason today. I'm not going to ask you. Could be many, many, you know, maybe a first-time guest. You don't, you know, you're not, and this is really for our members, so this is, just so you know, um, those who have committed uh, to be part of this church and, and this community. Um, next one is first time hearing about this, so, hey, that's one of the reasons I don't even know about it. Uh, never understood it. And then lastly is I just have issues about giving in this way. And so I put percentages up there to keep it even more, okay, we almost got 100 people. That's really good. I'm really proud of y'all. Uh, for helping us with this information. Not yet, but planning. That's very encouraging. Almost 50%, we just ain't get there yet. We're probably the same as the crammers, right? (laughs) We probably answer for that one as well. But thank y'all for answering that because what that does is it helps us to plan and to understand uh, even what we could do better as a leadership in this church. Thank you to those who have given. Thank you for those who are planning to give. If you have issues, work through it. Talk to somebody. Talk to God. Talk to somebody you trust. You have our mission group leaders. We're always available. Whatever we can do uh, to help you work through those issues, we'd love to do that as well. Um, and I tell you what, I'm not worried that the church is doing well because God's always provided for this church. Like, we're doing the best we've ever done, believe it or not, and we're not even close to our goal because God's provided. God's provided, right? We've made really wise business decisions. We're renting out the space. Uh, We have a daycare in it. Um, The government has given us money through uh, the employee retention tax credit. Praise God. God has provided, and that just shows me that he's going to continue to provide but I want you to be a part of what God is doing. And I want your heart to be right before God and be pleasing to God for all of us. Uh, we're preparing for a couple of major projects, a church plant, um, and we're ex- exploring how we can use this building to better, uh, and this land, five acres of land, to better serve the community. We want everybody to be all hands on deck. Um, and I think what's going to help us next year so we can plan accordingly is just to have pledge cards. So be praying, be thinking about 
what you would like to give for your weekly next year, for your uh, special contribution next year. That way, on our end, we can be um, shrewd in how we plan for our finances to see what we can afford. Can we bring new people on staff? Can we build our staff? I don't know. Can we buy the equipment that we need, right? Can we, can we continue to give to different organizations? Uh, that Be a Blessing Fund, we've been able to give to different organizations that we partner with or we just fund. So we just want to know what we can be able to do for next year. Amen? So let's talk about the other brothers and s- brothers that made up this team, the, as I call them, the five guys, the five guys here. Uh, everyday disciples that if you are a casual reader of the Bible... You never really understand the impact of these everyday disciples and the impact they had on God's eternal movement. So let's start with Simeon, right? Simeon uh, or Simon. Uh, he's also called the black man or Niger, N-I-G-E-R. Not sure if that's the origin of the derogative term that is used, but that's what the word that is used in the Bible. Um, many believe this was Simon of Cyrene. Uh, Cyrene is a country was a country in northern Africa, right? And so Africans are not necessarily all black. And so this is a black African uh, from North Africa from Cyrene. And this man, uh, if you don't know, this is uh, Simon of Cyrene. If we go to the next scripture, uh, we read about him in Luke chapter 23, verse 26. And this is really easy to do. Like if you just search in Bible Gateway or search the, the name and where, the, where it's, that name is in the Bible, then you'll be able to find stuff like this. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put a cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Now, Simon of Cyrene is, is like a hero. Like, I went to Israel this past, uh, this year, and Simon of Cyrene is like, wow. But I'm like, he, just for carrying the cross. But he was forced to do it. He was forced to carry the cross. They seized him. What are you going to do? Either die or carry that cross, right? He didn't plan for it. He didn't come. He wasn't coming to Jerusalem to carry the cross, to be spiritual. No word of him being a disciple. But here we read, if this is the same Simon, then Simon is no longer forced to carry the cross of Jesus. He's volunteered to carry his own cross daily. What do we learn about that? That, what if that was the only way for Simon to become a disciple was to undergo that mistreatment of being seized and made to carry the cross of Jesus? Sometimes we've got to change the way we look at the things that happen to us. Sometimes we look at it as a victim, with this victim mentality, and we're really not seeing how God is working through all of it. Right? So it doesn't stop there. Look at Mark 15, 21, a similar passage, parallel passage is what they call, is what we call that in a different gospel, different story of Jesus' life. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And then there's this little sentence there that's amazing. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. So now we learn about Simon. He was a father whose children became disciples, who were well-known in the Christian community. When Mark was writing this, he put those names in there because they would know who that was. Oh, by the way, that's their sons. 
I want you to know that. Then, in Romans 16, 13, greet who? Rufus. Now, Rufus is, is, you know, that means red. That makes sense to me. He was a light-skinned brother. (laughs) That makes sense. A red, like, he was a red bone brother out of the brothers. You know what I'm saying? Like, he he was a light-skinned one. (laughs) See, that's how I read the Bible. That's why I say it's fun for me. Um... Whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who's been a mother to me. Who is Rufus' mother? Probably Simon's wife. Put it together. So Simon married, and two boys. Man, later on, it makes sense because they were in the church together in Antioch, right? Later on, man, greet his mom too. She's been like a mother to me. Shout out to all the church moms and aunties. We love you. Thank you. Clap it up for our church moms and aunties. We love you. I don't have anything on Alexander, the other brother. That's your homework. You can, you can read that and, and come to some conclusions. Uh, next person, Lucius. Lucius is also mentioned as part of the five guys, and he's also from Cyrene. Possibly became the first bishop of Cyrene. That's all we really know about him. In my mind, I'm like, okay. Maybe Simon helped Lucius become a Christian. Maybe Simon brought Lucius, like Barnabas brought Saul, and trained him in Antioch, and then Lucius went back to become the bishop at home, at his home, Cyrene. I don't know. That's pretty cool if he did. You know, how many of us maybe have a heart for our home, whether this is it or whether it's somewhere else? If God maybe will send us back to to reach those in our home. Then Manan, Manan. Uh, That's the next one. Described as a synthropos is the Greek word of Herod, King Herod, um, who reigned from 44 B.C. to A.D. 37. This Greek word means nursed with another, one brought up with or educated with, uh, an intimate friend or friend of the court. Many translations will use the term foster brother. In the English Standard Version, use the term lifelong friend of King Herod. Who was King Herod? This one. King Herod had given permission to behead John the Baptist. It was Herod who had done nothing to stop the crucifixion of Jesus. It was Herod who killed James, the brother of John, with the sword because he saw that it pleased the people and had Peter arrested and was planning to do the same. That's in Acts 12. That's the very, the chapter right before Acts 13. So you see the differences here. You see King Herod doing all this evil, and then you see his lifelong friend, best friend, maybe his foster brother grew up with him, choosing to be a disciple and a leader in God's church. Now this is, how do you, how do you apply this? This could be a sermon in and of itself. It reminds me of Moses and Pharaoh. Moses and Pharaoh grew up in the same household, one used by God, another one used by Satan. Crazy. What does that mean for us? You can grow up with somebody but choose very different paths. You don't have to settle for the negative people in your life. You don't have to settle. You can choose to be different. 
Some of us have grown up in really dysfunctional family atmospheres. You don't have to be that. Yeah, it may be comfortable for you. Yeah, it may be who you are before you decide to follow Jesus, and when you're weak, you go back. But you don't have to stay there. With the power of God, you can choose to be different. And whatever that he came up with, whatever reason, whatever good came out of that relationship, amen. But we don't have to settle. Who will you choose to be, regardless of who you grew up with? How will you choose to make history? You know, this story follows Barnabas and Paul. But these other three men were the ones who continued to lead the church in Antioch that continued. To, it, was, it was history in the making. They stayed there, and it flourished. It's, you know, so the story keeps on going with these two, two other brothers, but they stayed there, right? Um, here's another thing about the church in Antioch, history-making church, was that they were supported and sent out. This is the first time in all of history that there's this, like, intentional sending out of to go start other churches. History in the making. What else do we learn about this? The Holy Spirit. It said, did you catch that? The Holy Spirit said to them, set apart, set them apart, these two, said to them, to to them, set apart these two. And then it says, the Holy Spirit sent them out. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit speaks and sends. It's our responsibility to listen and leave. Very simple things about, sometimes we get the Holy Spirit, we don't know where, just look at the characteristic of the Holy Spirit there. He spoke, and he said. It spoke, it said. Leave, what does that mean? It means going where the Spirit sends you. Where's your mission field? It may be to Sandy Springs. It also may be on your college campus. Amen? Amen? It may be your job, it may be your neighborhood, and it may be different places at different points of life. But we're all missionaries individually and in our mission groups. Here's what happened at their first stop. I want to read this because I think this is important. Uh, Acts 13, verse 4, and then we will wrap things up. Acts 13, verse 4, the second part of verse 4, it says, They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus, Cyprus was Barnabas' hometown, so he went home. The first thing he did was go home to make sure his people heard the gospel. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, or the son of Jesus, or son of Yeshua, a a popular name back then, uh, he had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. He attached himself to the governor And kept him from believing. 
was trying, was trying. In verse 9, Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. As he looked the sorcerer in the eye, then he said, you son of the devil. Hold on now. Full of every sort of deceit and fraud and an enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. How did Saul become a Christian? What happened to Saul? He was struck blind. And the very first thing he does, that it's, it's recorded that he does with somebody else is what? Strikes them blind. That's pretty cool. Sometimes we just got to do what was done to us. <laughs> what helped you? Do that. Help somebody else. We have these two these two, a false prophet, and we got somebody really seeking the Lord. I think there's a, there's a lesson here about politicians. We have a little bit more hope. While seeing the evil that you better believe, and I think you do, that there are false prophets attaching themselves to politicians here and around the world because it's a spiritual battle, we also got to believe that there's politicians that are seeking truth. Everybody's redeemable. There's people that are searching. And so who, who are we going to be in that process? Are we praying for our politicians? Election year 2024 coming up. Be prepared. Prepare yourself spiritually. So you don't act crazy, act a fool, as they say. Don't match their foolery. Be a disciple. Thank you for them snaps, Sean. I love that's some snaps. People are hungry for the word of God. People are hungry for the word of God. You know what I love about this? It says that he saw the miracle, but then he was astonished by what? The teaching of the Lord. We have the power. We, we don't, I don't know how to say this. Miracles are overrated. Can I just say that? I'm just saying. Miracles are overrated. Not for the person who's experienced them. Somebody gets healed, praise God. I'm talking about for saving faith. Jesus did a lot of miracles. This is the word of God that transforms us. Miracles have their place. All right. Close out here. Spiritual opposition. Satan uses different tactics to keep us from believing. Some of us right now are in a spiritual battle. You've been studying the Bible. You've been seeking God. But there's something, someone that's keeping us from believing. Something. Satan's going to use that. It's going to be something. Now, here's the thing about now. There's a book now called The Great Dechurching. It draws on surveys of more than 7,000 Americans by, the political by different political scientists. It attempts to explain why people have left churches or dechurched. The book raises an intriguing possibility. What if the problem isn't that churches are asking too much of their members, but that they aren't asking nearly enough? The book suggests that the defining problem driving out most people who leave is... Just how American life works in the 21st century. Contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality, care, or common life. Rather, it is designed to maximize individual accomplishments as defined by professional and financial success. That's America. 
Such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community that don't contribute to one's own professional life as one ages the professional prospects of one's children. Workism reigns in America, and because of it, community in America, religious community included, is a math problem that doesn't add up. Now, I will argue that it's not just community that doesn't add up, it's lordship that's the math problem that doesn't add up. Why? Because community, spiritual community, is simply a byproduct of making Jesus Lord of our lives. You can have community, you can go to a country club, you can go join a club, I mean, you can play intramurals, do what you want. But spiritual community, Atlanta math, y'all seen these memes? Math that it just ain't mathing? I like the next one. This is the one I like. This doesn't add up. The next one. Atlanta Math, a studio apartment off Bankhead for $1,800. Math that just say, like, make it make sense. That's how some of us look at Christianity. This math ain't math. Make it make sense because the scriptures like this, Luke 9, 24. For who, is there one before that, Luke 9, 24? No. Luke 9, 24, write it down. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. That, that doesn't add up. That math ain't mathing. What Jesus is saying, you can't just add Jesus without subtracting everything else. Some of us, are, ah, I got to fit time in for Jesus. No, Jesus is Lord of your schedule. Man, I got to figure out how I can give some of my money that, no, he's Lord of your money. Man, I got to figure out how I need to get away from this person because they ain't good. No, he is Lord of your relationships. He calls the shots. If you want to be a Christian, it's not your life anymore. It's his. It doesn't add up. We're trying to make it add up like it's going to make sense. No, it's not going to make sense like you want it to make sense because you want to have everything and a sprinkle of Jesus on it. No. He died for this. If he didn't die for this, he'd ask less of us. He died for this. He died for you. He died for you. So at some point, we got to make a decision that, you know what, I'm going to stop trying to make time for my next Bible study, for the sisters to help me, for the sisters to help me get right with God. Sometimes others are working harder for your salvation than you are. At some point, we say, you know what, I'm going to set this in my schedule and everything else around that because this is my priority. I got, I got a job. So what? I got kids. So what? Spouse. So what? Every, so what? What's going to be written about you? What's going to be highlighted and what's going to be a bookmark? Like what's going to be a footnote? What's going to be in the peripheral? It's going to be your relationship with God. That's the history that we're going to make. If we choose to follow Jesus, Chase said this, quote, and he said this when he first became a Christian, I want to do something so significant that if God rewrote the Bible, he would fit me in it. He wrote this when he first became a Christian in 2005, almost 20 years ago. And knowing Chase and his life You'd probably be in it, bro. For real. The, the good, bad, and the ugly. We all have the good, bad, and the ugly. 
But that's why we're, that's what's in the Bible. <laughs> and that shows the power of God. Because of Jesus, we have an opportunity to be part of history in the making. The kind of history that will live on forever. So let's go ahead and pray for our communion. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he died for us. And please forgive us. Please, God. Please forgive us when our response doesn't add up. When our response isn't worthy. Forgive us for our failings individually and as a church. Forgive us for our sin. Help us, God, to repent, to learn, to grow, to glorify you in our weaknesses. And strengthen us, God. Strengthen us, Lord. We want to be a church that's looked back on it, it's remembered. For the impact, the eternal impact we're able to make through your Holy Spirit. So as we take this communion, the cracker that represents the body of Christ that was broken, this juice that represents the blood of Jesus that was shed, God, I pray that we will make decisions in our lives inspired by that sacrifice that will make eternal impacts on the lives of those we love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. New sermons are uploaded each Monday morning. Simply search The Path Church Atlanta in iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting service. Additionally, we greatly appreciate your feedback on iTunes. If you would like to learn more about The Path, we encourage you to visit www.thepath.church. We hope to fellowship with you soon.